We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. New England sending QB Jimmy Garoppolo to 49ers. We believe we found the right guy. Garoppolo, quick pass, caught by Kittle. He dives, and he's in. Touchdown, 49ers. Kittle is going to go. Touchdown. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Candlestick Chronicles, the 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. My name is Chris Biederman. I cover the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee. With me, my guy, Kyle Madsen of NinersWire.com of the USA Today Sports Media Group and a producer at 95.7 The Game. Kyle, what's happening, dude? Oh, not much, man. Just uh, just hanging out. Just got done watching the Ravens pound the Rams on Monday Night Football. That's pretty wild. That wasn't a particularly close game. No, it, w- it was not competitive for sure. And what's interesting about it is the 49ers play the Ravens on Monday. Yeah, Sunday. Well, I think we'll I think we'll talk about that later in the week. We will. We will Niners talk about that later in the week. Niners. A holiday week. Uh, a little bit different schedule, but we will have a second pod for you if you're traveling. Uh, we will we will provide that content for you because we are dedicated to this to this content game. But uh, we have a pretty interesting game to talk about Sunday night. We talked a lot about it last week and thought that the 49ers. We would learn a lot about him at playing the Green Bay Packers, and uh, boy, did we. And I also think we learned a lot about the Packers, but uh, the Niners just really laid the hammer down. Like, that was, I think, unquestionably their their most impressive win of the season, and I think now that the 49ers have beaten um, arguably the best quarterback of, of the last generation, or at least the most prolific regular season quarterback 
in recent history, Aaron Rodgers, the way they did, um, I think it's time that we we stop questioning the idea that the 49ers haven't beaten anybody or they just beat up on bad quarterbacks or what we saw against Kyler Murray and Russell Wilson was an indicator of things to come. I think th- that was sort of a unique stretch uh, with unique circumstances. 49ers won 37-8. Aaron Rodgers had one of the least productive statistical performances of his career. The 49ers got on the board early. They scored often. It was 23-0 in the first half, and it never really became close in the second half. Kyle, you were there. You were there alongside me in the press box. What did you think of Sunday night's game? I was not alongside you. I had to sit down way at the end, and then I had to move from my normal seat, so I was even further down than I normally am, Mm -hmm. thanks to the influx of media for a Sunday night game, and apparently every media member that resides in Green Bay comes out to Santa Clara. So I wasn't right next to you. I was substantially further away than you. You were like, uh, you were within earshot. Like I could have yelled Kyle and you probably would have heard me. Ooh, I don't know, man. It's quiet I'm in there. Like down there around the corner. Plus I'm, I'm there next to uh, one of the one of the radio guys who does the radio updates from the game. So he talks the whole time. Oh, Huge that's Niner brutal. fan, it turns out. That's brutal. Yeah, yeah. I thought there was no cheering in the press box. Uh, that guy did not <laughs> follow that rule. Yeah. Uh, no names. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I, it was, they, they got out to that fast start with the, with the strip sack by Fred Warner. And then they score on their first play from scrimmage. They eventually go up 10, nothing, but it still felt like the Seattle game a little bit. It felt like there's a run from the Packers coming and can the 49ers weather that run enough? to not fall too far behind, but then it just never came. And the defense did what they did so many times early in the season, only this time it wasn't Andy Dalton or Jared Goff or Kyle Allen. It was Aaron freaking Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is going into the Hall of Fame on on the first ballot, and he had arguably the worst performance of his career thanks to a relentless pass rush that it wasn't even one guy dominating. Like Eric Armstead had a really good game. He had two and a half sacks, but uh, Demontre Moore was good. Nick Bosa was excellent. Uh, DeForest Buckner was, was dominant as always. Like it's just an onslaught play after play through four quarters. And the Packers just never had an answer. Here's the, uh, the first eight drives from the Packers. Their first, first eight possessions. They had five first downs total. Uh, so fumble, which led to Tevin Coleman scoring a touchdown on the 49ers first offensive snap, uh, punt, 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 turnover on downs, punt, punt, punt. Um, and like I said, five total first downs on all those drives, including five drives that had zero first downs, five, three and outs. So it was just a complete dismantling. And we do have to say, with Ryan Bulaga leaving the game, the starting right tackle, Nick Bosa shifting over to that side and really just dominating the game. And the 49ers doing some clever things. I rewatched the broadcast and Chris Collinsworth made a really good point, really good observation that the 49ers were blitzing a lot from, from the left side of the defense over right tackle, which forced Nick Bosa into getting one-on-one matchups. Mm-hmm. And Bosa... You know, he didn't dominate the game in terms of getting a ton of sacks, but he dominated the game in terms of the impact he had 
on the pass rush. And obviously Eric Armstead has had a really good game. DeForest Buckner was really good. Um, they didn't miss D Ford at all, which, which was a little bit surprising. You wondered, uh, how, how that would have impacted the game based on, you know, the, the, the green Bay tackles are good. And, and Alex light is not very good. Obviously they're swing tackles. So 49ers completely took advantage. And like you mentioned, which, which I wrote about in my, in my game story, the second version of my game story after the first one was, was lost into cyberspace somewhere, felt, which, Hey, Hey, real quick. Real yeah. Quick. I felt so bad for you in that moment. Mm-hmm. That I didn't even know what to say. It's fine. I mean, the, the, <laughs> it, it's it's part of. So basically, what happened? I was finished. I wrapped up my game story. It was all finished. I was ready to publish it. It was about eleven p.m., which is which is fine. Like normally, when you're in when you're in the press box after a late night game, the goal is for me, anyways, to get get out of there. Um, ideally, like eleven thirty, maybe midnight, if if you really want to sink your teeth into what you're doing. Uh, so it, this was an eleven o'clock, and I just finished my 1400 word story i was really happy with it um it was really in depth covered a lot of different things and i go to do all my seo that search engine optimization for for you non-content creators uh (laughs) go to do all my seo and then uh the content just disappears everything goes away and it reverts to the version of the story i had opened during the game so it went from 1400 words to about 400 words which was just a rough play-by-play breakdown of what happened uh, and I had another story, a notebook item I had to write, which is basically just a roundup of all the injuries. And, and, you know, you start with another story that you didn't hit on in depth in, in your game story. And then you have bullet points with, with all the injuries and stuff like that. So I still had that to do. Um, so anyway, I end up spending probably another hour and a half in the press box, rewriting my game story, which wasn't really as good because at that point you're getting really tired. Um, anyway, I don't want to bore people with this, but it wasn't a great experience, but it, it happens. It's happened to me before. It probably, it's probably going to happen to me again. You have issues and, uh, and you just got to adjust. It's like, it's like dealing with an injury and and we've seen Kyle Shanahan play without his tackles. I, I would argue it's, it's pretty similar, right? So, um, anyway, the point I wanted to make was that you mentioned the 10, nothing lead the 49ers had and, and they got out to that quick start, and they had a 10-0 lead in the first quarter against the Seattle Seahawks two weeks ago, too, and the 49ers wound up losing that game. And with the way the offense was sputtering in the second quarter, the Niners had back-to-back drives, back-to-back three and outs, that went for a combined negative eight yards. Uh, they had some penalties, and it was it felt kind of ugly. Justin School was not playing well. He was flagged for holding, and he also allowed a sack, and then the 49ers made some adjustments. They put Daniel Brunskill in at left tackle over Justin School, who Kyle Shanahan said today, we're recording this Monday night, was a little bit banged up. And uh, I think if you saw Justin School during pregame warmups, I think it, he definitely did not seem like he was moving well. So um, there was also an element of Jimmy Garoppolo getting the offense together on the sideline, sort of lighting into guys, but also giving sort of a motivational speech saying, hey, we've been here before. Aaron Rodgers is on the other sideline and we cannot rest on on the fact our defense is playing great because Aaron Rodgers is probably going to come back at some point in this game, um, which is absolutely the approach you should have when you're playing Aaron Rodgers because he's one of the best quarterbacks any of us have ever seen and he's he has 15 fourth quarter comebacks on his resume, which is a ton, right? So 
the 49ers go on to after that with Brunskill in at left tackle. So they, they did improve in pass protection. They go field goal, touchdown, field goal, uh, including the, the touchdown and the field goal came all inside the final minute of the first half. So they went into the locker room up 23, nothing. And once they got the touchdown to Debo Samuel on, on the, uh, on the dig route that he, that he took 42 yards, just dusting Tremont Williams, you're like, okay, this feels a little bit different. And then in the third quarter, the Packers score a touchdown. So you say, okay, it's it's 23 to 8. Maybe, you know, it's a two-score game because the Packers got the two-point conversion. And maybe this is going to be closer than we thought. Then the Niners come back and respond right away with a two-play, 75-yard drive that ends with George Kittle's 61-yard touchdown, which he runs an absurd route. It's a perfect play design against a perfect coverage. Kittle ends up being wide open, and it's a touchdown, and then you realize, okay, this is this is probably the game right here with the way the 49ers defense was playing, and it turns out it was, and Aaron Rodgers got benched midway through the fourth quarter, um, and it wasn't all that competitive, and the Packers came into the game off of their bye week as the number two seed in the NFC, and the Niners completely dominated, so um, I guess let, let's talk about the big takeaways that get, get into a little bit more detail about some of this stuff. The 49ers defense. I mean, Fred Warner was outstanding. 11 tackles. He had the sack, the forced fumble that just, just all defined the tenor of the game really on the first series of 49ers scored on their first defensive snap after Nick Bosa recovered that fumble, took it to the two yard line. Tevin Coleman scored. Um, DJ Jones had a couple of nice run stops, the nose tackle. He's he's having a really good year. Jimmy Ward, probably the best game of his career. Two pass breakups on third down, a bunch of really good tackles. Was was just felt like he was always in the right place throughout the entire game. Uh, what stood out to you about, about the 49ers defense, Kyle? I want to go back to Fred Warner. Fred Warner jumped off the field last night in a way that it, 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 in a, in a larger way than he has at any other point this year. And he's having a terrific season. But there was a worry when Quan Alexander went out that the 49ers wouldn't be able to pick up the, the emotional aspect that he left. And Fred Warner has not only stepped up his productivity with, with Alexander out, but you can tell he is taken on a more emotional role on the defense. And whether that's just me trying to project something onto him or if it's something that he has is doing differently, he just seems more active. He seems more vocal. He's he's the first to celebrate after a teammate makes a play. He's getting up and he's he's flexing after a big stop. And that's just stuff we didn't really see from him last year. And didn't see a lot of this year, or at least it was overshadowed by by Quan Alexander doing a lot of the same stuff. And so, what Fred Warner's done this year, stepping into his his role as as in the middle of that front seven, and elevating what he did last year. He had a really good rookie season, but he's taken a significant step forward this year, and I think that really showed last night. Because part of the reason the Niners defense was so good was because Fred Warner was so dominant. And it was the first time that he looked like, oh, he might wind up in the next couple of years being one of the best players at his position in the league. Like, he's just, he's not just a good player. He could be a really great player. And I think it showed last night. 
Absolutely. He's he's having a really good stretch of games here, particularly without Alexander, like you mentioned. And and uh, we've talked about it a little bit, but Warner is definitely elevating that that personality. Like every time the 49ers finish their stretching routine at practice, Warner runs from one side of the practice field to the other, screaming, cussing, getting everybody fired up. Yeah. And he's just kind of that guy now. And he absolutely wasn't as a rookie because you rarely see rookies come in and, and have that sort of emotional impact. Um, I do want to talk about Rogers game though. 104 yards, the fewest in any game he's had at least 30 attempts in his career, which is insane. Uh, his 3.15 yards per attempt was the lowest of his career. And again, like you can't overstate this. This is one of, if not the best quarterback of his generation. I don't want to talk about resumes and Tom Brady and all that. Like in terms of pure talent and productivity, Aaron Rodgers is as good as there's ever been in the league. And the 49ers in prime time off a of bye week just completely shut him down. And uh and I, I thought one thing that stood out about the pass rush, not only are the 49ers pass rushers just dominant in their one-on-one matchups. And maybe Green Bay's offensive line isn't as good as we thought it would be. But what really stood out to me is just their ability to stay within their pass rushing lanes and and do it with discipline. It's not like they're just beating their guys and running upfield and leaving a bunch of lanes for for Rodgers to squeak through because we know he's really good at that. And that was one of the issues the 49ers had with Kyler Murray and Russell Wilson. And that was something they definitely improved was the integrity of their rushing lanes. And when they collapsed the pocket as a team, there was nowhere for for Rodgers to go. Um, so I thought that was probably, you know, one of the most important aspects of the game. And just 49ers coverage was really good. Akella Witherspoon got a bunch of snaps for the first time since week three and, and played pretty well. Um, Emmanuel Mosley continued to play well. Just, I mean, it's, I, I don't really know what, what else you can say about the 49ers defensive performance. They shut down Aaron Jones. Uh, he had, thir- he had 38 yards on 13 carries. It's a 2.9 yard average that included an 11 yard run for his long, um, Devonte Adams, 43 yards, seven catches, uh, just I, I, a really complete performance by, by the 49ers defense who held Green Bay to 198 yards on the game and 2.8 yards per play. The Niners averaged 7.5 yards per play. There was so, so much talk earlier. There was so much talk earlier in the year about, well, the Niners defense is good. They're, they're uh, allowing they had three straight games where they allowed less than a hundred yards passing, but what happens when they play a real quarterback? And it doesn't get a lot more real than Aaron Rodgers. And they played their best game of the year. And I think that bodes well going into this stretch against the Ravens, against the saints, and then into the playoffs where the Niners defense against their stiffest competition played their best game. And if that's a trend and we'll, we'll find out here against the Ravens and saints, but if that's going to be a trend, the Niners are in a really, really good spot. Yeah. So let's turn our attention to the other side of the ball. Cause I don't really know if there's a whole lot of analysis we can, we can the add defense to was dominant. It was good. Every facet, every, every facet. facet, every level of the defense was, was really good. And, um, and I, I, do think it's fair to say that Bulaga's injury w- was certainly significant, um, and, and maybe the Packers are a little bit more effective, or at least efficient, if if Bulaga's in there. But I, I don't think it would have mattered in terms of the overall outcome. But I do want to talk about Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, 
Jimmy Garoppolo's last four games, he's completing 68% of his passes, which is fine. Uh, he's up to 1,242 yards, which is 311 yards per game, 8.4 yards per attempt, which is awesome. Uh, 11 touchdowns, three interceptions, 109.7 rating. The 49ers are three and one over that stretch. Garoppolo against the Packers had the highest passer rating of his career at 145.8. He completed 14 of 20, which is 70%. Averaged 12.7 yards per attempt, which is very good. Um, and completed all six of his passes to George Kittle for 129 yards, including that 61 yard touchdown and a 42-yard touchdown to Debo Samuel. The Niners' uh, first three touchdown drives lasted one play because uh, Tevin Coleman got the ball to two-yard line, mm -hmm. uh, three plays when Debo Samuel scored that long touchdown, uh, and then two plays when Kittle scored his long touchdown. So the 49ers only played 48 total offensive snaps, which was the fewest of the season. I think they played 60 in Week 1 which was their fewest previously, and that was because they didn't play well. They weren't getting first downs, and this was just an incredibly efficient game through with what the 49ers were able to do with the passing attack. And then the running game, it wasn't like a crazy prolific running game in terms of overall numbers, but they got 112 yards and 22 carries, which is a 5.1-yard clip. Um, I mean, I, I don't... It, it, it just feels like with George Kittle back in the lineup, everything is unlocked. Play action was yes. working. The 61-yard touchdown came on play action. A couple of other of Kittle's receptions came on play action. I think next-gen stats, there was an infographic up during the game. Garoppolo was 6 of 6 for 122 yards and a touchdown using play action. And I think George Kittle is really the reason why play action is so effective. And, uh, and I just thought if, if that's the offense the 49ers are going to have now with Debo Samuel emerging, Emmanuel Sanders had a very quiet game, but um, I don't think anyone's concerned about the fact that he just had one catch on one target for 15 yards. I think yeah. he can be there when the 49ers need him to be. But just if that's a 49ers offense, I mean, the 49ers are just super balanced right now. And I think you have to be scared if if you're any other team in the NFC because they can run the ball. Garoppolo's been passing the ball really well. They've been efficient. If George Kittle's healthy and just the way the defense is playing, they're going to be really, really tough to beat. Yeah, 23 dropbacks, 22 rushing attempts, 112 yards. It's 5.1 a carry. They were really good on the ground. The thing that, that jumps out the most to me is how efficient Jimmy Garoppolo was. And I know he only threw 20 passes. And what's encouraging to me was is not necessarily what's in the box score. The zero interceptions, I think, is ideal. But he took a couple of sacks last night instead of making a risky throw. He threw the ball away a couple times when he was under pressure instead of trying to force a throw in. And his decision-making last night was so much better than it was even last week against the Cardinals. And that's where he really needs to improve. We've seen him make all the throws. We've seen him escape a pass rush. We've seen him tuck the ball and run it. I mean, it, there's, there's nothing, there's no questions for me about what Jimmy Garoppolo can do throwing the football or, or running the football. The, the biggest question was, could he avoid the back-breaking mistake? Could he avoid the mistake that allowed the Packers to get back into the game last night, and he did. 
And if he can keep the efficiency he had last night over 30 pass attempts or 35, I find it really difficult to believe that there's any team in the league stopping the 49ers offense. Uh, I'm going to pull out my calculator. So let's Please. say Garoppolo averages 12 yards per attempt oh. on 30 attempts. That's 360 yards. Good good job by you on the math. Uh, yeah, 360 yards. So that would be good. Did you actually um, pull out a calculator to do that? Well, I was going to do the Dude, the, drop the, zero the 12 point one whatever, and then I just rounded and didn't oh, really think to do in my, the math in my head. Um, it's been a long few days. Yeah. I've been. I also moved on Saturday. Yeah, clearly, Just a lot, a lot going on. Um, anyway, so point being, Jimmy Garoppolo was was really good and has been really good over these last four games. And and yeah, if if Garoppolo isn't turning the ball over, then the Forty ers are going to be extremely difficult to beat. Because as we saw, the one time they did get beat this year, the Seahawks scored twenty one points as a result of of three Garoppolo turnovers, including a couple fumbles and an interception that banged off Kendrick Bourne's hands. So when the 49ers aren't turning the ball over, it obviously puts the defense in a much better spot. Um, and, you know, the 49ers offense is, is going to be more likely to, to score points. We went through the uh, the Packers possessions. So after, after the 49ers had those two drives, which led to the, the switch at left tackle from, from school to Brunskill, and then, uh, and then Jimmy Garoppolo's meeting on the sideline. They went field goal, touchdown, field goal to end the second quarter. They had a three and out to open the second half, which seemed a little bit ominous, which led to the, the Packers' first touchdown, or Packers' only touchdown. And then the Niners went touchdown, touchdown to end the game to make it 37-8. So, Jeez. yeah, I mean, it, it, it maybe just, the Packers aren't as good as we thought they were, and there were certainly questions about their defense, but... I just thought coming off a bye, given the 49ers had played two pretty emotional, grueling divisional games against the Seahawks and Cardinals the last couple weeks, I would have thought the Packers' defense would have looked a lot better, but that that didn't happen. There was an urgency last night because if the 49ers lost, they dropped to the five seed. Yeah. And all of a sudden, they're 0-1 going into a stretch where they face the Ravens, who look like the best team in football. And then the Saints, who uh, a lot of people think are, are better than the 49ers. And so to lose that Green Bay game would have been, especially at home before going on the road for two, would have been, would have been very tough. And then to drop to the five seed, and now all of a sudden you're chasing the Seahawks going into the toughest stretch of the year. I, I mean, that was a huge game for the 49ers, and they played with that level of urgency. Which was a really big deal because that the the Cardinals game was was huge for a lot of the same reasons and they came out very flat and they they matched their their energy last night matched the magnitude of the moment and then it didn't stop. There was a real opportunity when it got to twenty three to eight for them to never kind of pick the energy back up and allow the Packers to kind of creep back into that game, but they scored. In two plays, they go up 30-8, to eight, and the, the game was effectively over from there. So there was a lot of stuff outside of the box score. I mean, obviously the box score showed a dominant 49ers win, but there were so many intangible things that happened last night that make me a lot more optimistic. I mean, I was, I was optimistic about the Niners going into last night, and I thought they were a legitimate Super Bowl contender in the NFC. But what I saw last night, both on the field and, like I said, those intangible things – 
I feel a lot better about their chances going into these two games in Baltimore and New Orleans. I feel good about their chances to come out with a win in one of those. Yeah, so so let's talk a little bit about some of the news coming out of that game. And, and we do need to start with George Kittle, who uh, it, it was reported by ESPN's Adam Schefter, I think early Sunday morning, that Kittle had fractured a bone in his ankle. And in that report, there wasn't a whole lot of detail there other than the fact that Kittle, I mean, Schefter reported that Kittle was going to play Sunday night and, and that he had fractured a bone in his ankle. And, and Kyle Shanahan offered details afterwards. He basically chipped a bone in his ankle and he could play through it. It wasn't a destabilizing fracture. How Kyle Shanahan described it was like pulling a piece of bark off of off a tree. Um, so the Kittle's stability in, in the ankle was fine. It, it wasn't it wasn't going to to get injured worse by by playing on it. It was just about dealing with pain tolerance, and we know George Kittle has a has a crazy pain tolerance. But um, the knee injury was the one that really required healing, uh, and so he missed two games largely because of that knee injury. And we don't know necessarily the extent of the injury. It looked like a hyperextension. It could be a contusion, which is basically a bruise. It could be a, a ligament sprain which is essentially a, a, a tear of ligaments by definition. But uh, I don't want to speculate on what the knee injury was, but what Kyle Shanahan said was that the ankle was ultimately fine for Kittle. It was the knee that, that caused him to miss those two games. So anyway, Kittle comes back six for six, a six for six targets, uh, a season high 129 yards and that touchdown. Also really good blocking in the running game. It's no coincidence. The 49ers averaged over five yards a carry with Kittle back in the lineup. Um, so yeah, George Kittle's good. Uh, news coming out of, out of Shanahan's Monday press conference. Do you have any, do you have any Kittle takes before, uh, before we move on to other injury news? I guarantee I would not play football with a bone chip in my ankle. I yeah. never want to hear, I never want to hear anything about my body described as tree bark. <laughs> I think that's a safe, like really good life goal to have. Yeah. Agreed. Um, all right. So. Demontre Moore, our guy, defensive end, is out for the season with a fractured forearm. That happened on the play where Richard Sherman was flagged uh, in the end zone for pushing Aaron Jones out of bounds that essentially led to the Packers scoring that touchdown. I guess they probably would have gone for it on fourth down anyway. But um, anyway, Demontre Moore is hurt. So this is the, what is it, the second defensive end the 49ers have lost reserve defensive end in three weeks. Demontre Moore was signed, of course, because Ronald Blair tore his ACL in that November 11th game against the Seahawks. So the 49ers' depth is going to be tested. D. Ford is uncertain to play on Sunday. We're going to know a little bit more on Wednesday when the 49ers get back on the practice field. Um, D. Ford is still dealing with that hamstring injury that he sustained uh, two weeks ago against Kyler Murray and when he sacked him in the second quarter of that game. So the 49ers are a little bit thin at defensive end, but they still have Nick Bosa and Eric Armstead and Solomon Thomas there. So um, their depth is an issue, but they still have very good players on top of their depth chart. So it looks like Jeremiah Valawaga, who played in nine games with the Lions in 2017, who's currently on the practice squad, is probably going to get promoted. That's what Kyle Shanahan said today. Valawaga led the team with four and a half sacks in the preseason. So... um, you know, we'll we'll have to see how much of a drop off there is. Obviously, the 49ers think there is going to be a drop off because Valawaga has been on the practice squad all year, and when Ron and when Ronald Blair went down, 
they brought back to Montre Moore instead of bringing up Valawaga. So um, we'll see how much that impacts the 49ers going forward. D Ford missing time, I think, would highlight that lack of depth behind him a little bit more. Uh, but we'll have to see if the 49ers get production from from Armstead and Bosa like they did Sunday night. It's not going to be that much of an issue. But Lamar Jackson is an entirely different animal. Anyway, um, so in lead a little bit with Valawaga. He was second in the NFL in preseason sacks. Okay. So well, we all know how important preseason sack numbers are. Yeah. So, <laughs> think about it. Yep. Um, all right. So also questionable for this week, and, and Kyle Shanahan isn't ruling them out. Left tackle Joe Staley coming off finger surgery. Running back Matt Burita dealing with an ankle. Kicker Robbie Gold, a quadricept. Uh, it's looking like they're all going to come down to maybe being game-time decisions for Sunday in Baltimore. Um, I think Joe Staley has a good chance at playing. And uh, and I heard from, you know, there's there's a, a line of thinking in the locker room. And, and I know Staley against the Seahawks did not play particularly well. But uh, one player indicated that it sounds like Staley might have come back from his leg injury a little bit too soon and that Staley's leg did not feel very good while he was playing and it sort of led to his back seizing up on him as sort of uh, one of those injuries that happens when when your body tries to compensate for something else going wrong. So um, Staley breaking his finger might have been somewhat of a blessing in disguise because getting two weeks off now, at least two weeks off, is going to give his leg more time to heal. So that could be beneficial for the 49ers. Uh, Matt Breida missed, uh, what is it, the last two games with that ankle injury, so there's a good chance he's going to be back. Robbie Gold kicked uh, before the game. He told Jennifer Lee Chan of NBC Sports Bay Area, that he's planning on playing against Baltimore, so we'll have to see. Kyle Shanahan said he's close to playing, but wouldn't make it official. And, you know, as we know with injuries, setbacks can always happen, and players often um, are more optimistic uh, than than coaches are, training staffs are, when it comes to their return from those injuries. So we'll have to see about Robbie Gold. But uh, I do think there's a good chance Joe Staley and Burita plays, and, and we'll see how, how Gold does this week. Uh, continuing to kick during practice and, and things like that. Yeah, and that's going to be, I, I think, if they get even, I mean, any two of those guys back for, for Baltimore, I think that's a big deal, especially if they're getting a version of Staley that's that's closer to the Joe Staley we know and not, not what we saw against Seattle. And that's, that's significant. And Matt Breida... I know he doesn't get a ton of work in uh, on offense. It's not like he's a bell cow where he's carrying 25 times a game, but the electricity he brings to the run game and his threat as a home run hitter, I think, changes their offense just enough. I mean, it's just another wrinkle that, that Kyle Shanahan can throw at the Ravens. Um, so I, I think getting any two of those guys back, whether it's it's those guys or Gold or D Ford to, to bring off the edge in the pass rush, they're all significant. And the Niners have done a really nice job establishing some depth and, and overcoming injuries this year. But the fact of the matter is they're down like four significant players right now, four starters effectively, and they, they've managed to overcome it. So getting those guys back would be huge. Matt Breed is averaging five yards a carry and 60 yards per game. Um, so that's that's important. And he's also uh, he also has 16 catches for 110 yards. So 
Yeah, Brita, Brita is a, a relatively important part of the offense, albeit not an every down player because they do have Tevin Coleman. But um, I think he offers a different dynamic to the running game. And, and Kyle Shanahan has plays that he runs for specific players. So the playbook opens up a little bit more when you have somebody like Brita in there where you could run some of those some of those runs, the, the outside zone stuff specifically that maybe, I mean, you can run them with Tevin Coleman, but maybe they're a little bit more effective with Brita, who's who's a little bit faster um, and, and just a different style of runner than Coleman is. So we'll have to see if, if Brita comes back, but I think the chances are pretty good. So um, we'll know more on Wednesday. Uh, let's go to winners and losers from the Sunday night game against the, uh, against the Packers. So this is going to be a little bit obvious, but, uh, the 49ers are, are winners just in general, because you made the point earlier, which, which is a really important one. Uh, we talked a lot about this three game stretch the 49ers have, which ESPN says is, um, the, the first or the, the first time in NFL history that a team has played, team three straight teams at this late in the season with at least 800 winning percentages in a row uh if the 49ers had lost to the Packers ahead of a trip to play Baltimore like you mentioned which is probably the hottest team in the NFL right now um that would have been pretty bad because they would have fallen to the five seed as you mentioned because the Seahawks own the tiebreaker they would have been the the, the top seed in the NFC West, or at least they would have taken over the lead in the NFC West. Um, and so the fact that they won that game now sets them up to where, you know, splitting these next two games is, is certainly not the worst thing in the world, right? Like if they go two and one through this stretch, I think that's, that's ultimately a win for the 49ers. If they started 0 and one going two and one would have been extremely difficult. They probably would have been more likely to go one and two, so I, I just think from that perspective, the 49ers are winners. And like you mentioned, like it's, it just would have been it, it ultimately losing that game might've been what, you know, the difference between getting a buy and home field advantage or being a wild card team and having to win three road games in order to get to the Super Bowl. Yeah. And that's where, that's where last night was so big because I don't want to, I don't want to say the Niners can't win in Seattle and Baltimore because I, I, I mean, they can, they're, ten, they're 10 and one and they, and they, they barely lost the one game they lost. So I don't want to, I don't want to count them out of either of those games, but like you said, winning both of them in, in kind of a must win situation is, is really hard, really hard to imagine. Um, and especially in, especially in the NFC where, I mean, one loss can can one one or two losses can can really shake up the playoff standings and and take the Niners from home field advantage in a first round bye to to playing on wild card re- weekend and spending all of the postseason on the road. Yeah, which might have been you know if the Packers end up being the the three or four seed that first playoff game might be you know in Lambeau or if the yeah. Saints. And end up, you know, or going to Dallas or Philadelphia or whoever ends up winning the NFC East. Um, the, obviously, those are winnable games, but you would rather sit on your couch and then host a game the next week rather than than having to to do, not get any home games throughout the playoffs. So, um, yeah, obviously a, a big win for them. So, loser Justin School 
rookie left tackle. He's banged up, did not play well, got benched for Daniel Brunskill. Kyle Shanahan said today that it's likely Brunskill would be the guy who replaces Joe Staley going forward if Staley can't play Sunday in Baltimore. Brunskill's been really good, particularly given the context of his career. Like an AAF guy the 49ers just brought in, took a flyer on uh, somebody to maybe can compete for a depth role, and, and all of a sudden he's getting a bunch of starts this year, playing right tackle and left tackle. It looks like he's probably going to be the swing tackle of the future. Um, pretty good in the running game, been just fine in pass protection. And uh, and I think you have to be happy if you're if you're the 49ers just looking at the, def, the, the quick development of Daniel Brunskill. Um, that's definitely a positive development. But just in school, getting banged up, not playing well, he's he's got to be a loser coming out of that game. Yeah, I think so too. And not not to to get away from Justin School too much here, but the fact that Brunskill also played guard and center in the preseason, I think really bodes well for his future uh, with the 49ers. But yeah, School was was not good last night, and he was a big reason that the Niners had had trouble getting off the ground. I think I think offensively, I think he gave up two sacks. He had a penalty. Um, uh, it was it was really clear that that they need to get Joe Staley back if they're gonna if they're gonna hit their peak offensively. Yeah, and I don't want to look too far down the road. And and this is a conversation that's probably better off having had in, in being had in the off season. But um, if the 49ers don't have to use a premium draft pick on a tackle because somebody like Daniel Brunskill develops into a quality yeah. starter uh, down the road, if, if and when Joe Staley hangs it up, that could be huge for them and from a team building perspective. So. Uh, just something to keep in mind. So we'll we'll keep an eye on uh, on Brunskill. But yeah, school's a loser. Uh, George Kittle, he's we a winner. Find, we need to find a new name for for winners and losers. Okay, because like we'll work on that. Loser, like no, no, he's not. He's he's a he's a good NFL player. But okay. Well, it's Thanksgiving week. Maybe a loser can be like a turkey or something. Yeah, tur tur. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, bad idea. All right, we'll we'll keep brainstorming. Um, winner George Kittle. Do we need to do we need to break this one down? I think uh, I think Kittle's good. He's clearly very important to what the 49ers do. Six targets, six catches, 129 yards. A tugger. He's he's dominant. A he's he's the best tight end in the league. Tutty. Tutty. Uh, loser referees. Uh, Richard Sherman's penalty that led to the touchdown. Um, probably not a good one. I never saw a replay of it. The, um, the I sifted personal... through. Yeah, why don't, why don't you why don't you break down that that play real quick? The personal foul penalty on on the third and eight scramble by by Aaron Rodgers. I think he picked up six yards. It would have brought up a fourth and two. But during the play or right after the play, Richard Sherman was running up behind Aaron Jones, the running back, and just gave him a quick like, just little shove in the back, just like a hey, I'm behind you kind of. And Jones went toppling to the ground, and the flags came out. And he was flagged 15 yards for unnecessary roughness. I the kind of thing that happens 20 times throughout the course of an NFL game, uh, and and they flagged him for it there in the end zone. I, I I I still don't get it. If that's the new standard for unnecessary roughness, then we're gonna start seeing a lot of 15 yard penalties. Because like I said, he he didn't do anything super extraordinary on the play. I, I I was baffled when it happened, and I I don't think it's a coincidence that NBC showed exactly one replay. 
and and then didn't didn't show anyone. Yeah, how the rule goes is once a quarterback leaves the pocket and basically declares himself a runner, you can do whatever you want to an offensive player downfield, um, with the exception of like obviously ear holing him with the crown of your helmet or something like that. But Kyle Shanahan said it like what you're taught to do is push the guy out of bounds when the quarterback leaves the pocket because that makes the receiver ineligible to to catch the ball. Right. Um, so. I think that's what Sherman was doing, and and with Rodgers becoming a runner, I think that's the issue the 49ers had with the call. So, again, I didn't see it. There was no in-house replay. There was no television replay. It was uh, kind of a weird deal, but it didn't prove super consequential to the game. It was a it was a footnote. But um, also DeForest Buckner flagged for leading with the helmet. I guess it was the right call technically by rule. I think the issue that you have with that one is probably more with the rule itself than the yeah. – the way the officials handled it, but uh, the it, it wound up being it giving the Packers an automatic first down after failing to convert. Uh, I think it was third and thirty-five. Yeah. So kind of a costly penalty in in most situations, but because the game was a blowout, it didn't really matter. Uh, winner, Debo Samuel. Another really good game for the uh, rookie second-round pick. He had back-to-back eight-catch, 100-yard games, becoming the first player in team history to do that before this week. Um, give give a Debo Samuel take while I look up his stats from the last three games. I think Debo Samuel is good enough to be a number one wide receiver. I don't think he's ever going to be as productive as a Julio Jones or an Odell Beckham Jr. or pick pick a pick a top-end, top-five type of receiver, Michael Thomas. But I think he's good enough to be the top receiver on a really good team. And if Anquan Bolden is his ceiling, the Niners got great value at, at number 36. There's there's not a lot he can't do. They're starting to expand his role on throws down the field. He showed his speed last night on that on that 41-yard touchdown. There's, there's just nothing. He's had a couple of bad drops this year, but we've seen him on end-arounds, on jet sweeps, on screens. Uh, I, I mean, he's he he beat Shaquille Griffin on on Monday Night Football for what would have been the game-winning touchdown if Garoppolo had made a better throw. I, I, I mean, there's there's nothing he can't do on the field, and and I think the 49ers have their number one wide receiver of the future in, in Debo. So his last four games, uh, 22 catches on 30 targets, which is good. Uh, 15.27 yards per catch. Also good. One touchdown. Obviously you'd you'd probably like more than one. He had, he did have that drop in Arizona, pretty easy touchdown pass. Um, and he does like, he does make occasional mistakes. I think it was, it was either the, it was either the Seattle or Arizona game where he, he, he had a pass. Uh, there was a pass negated first down pass. that would have set up a first and goal to, Emmanuel Sanders that was negated because Samuel uh, didn't line up correctly, which led to an illegal formation. He's had a couple of false starts. There are things like that that he needs to clean up, but catching 73% of your passes, averaging 84 yards per game over the last four weeks. Um, hey, Math Wizard, can, can, you, uh, can you say what 84 yards a game would, uh, would, would pace out to over a full 16-game slate? Uh, let's see, 4-2... I got the answer. That's okay. Go ahead. It's thirteen hundred and forty-four yards. I knew that. So that that I would obviously be good. That's number one receiver type production, and yep. 
I hate doing that because it's just a you know it's a four game sample, but um, it is notable. Like that's Dante that's where really good four game stretch last year too. He did. Um, yeah, Dante Pettis, oh, no hey, targets just, for second straight week. Dante Pettis, winner, the fifth highest graded 49er on offense according to Pro Football Focus. Interesting. Um, all right. Well, I think that's it. <laughs> We're going to end on that that's note. Uh, that's it for a bit. That's an actual thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, we didn't do, uh, do we have a Demontre Moore MVP award? I totally got, totally oh forgot about gosh, it because, uh, I'm reeling a little bit because of the injury and the fact he's out for the season, but who's your, uh, who's your MVP of the game? It's, it's gotta be, it's gotta be George Kittle. Six catches, okay. buck 29, a touchdown. And not not so much just what he did in the game, but just how the 49ers offense looked with, with him in there. Okay, your Demontre Moore MVP award goes to George Kittle. I'm going to go with Fred Warner. Yeah. 11 tackles, quarterback hit, tackle for loss, force fumble. Um, yeah, a sack, the, the force fumble on the sack, which really set the tone for the game. He was just everywhere. He's, he's, you know, Robert Sala says it all the time. He's a quarterback of the defense. He's the extension of the coaching staff. He gets everybody lined up. He makes all the checks at the, at, at you know, but pre-snap to get the defense in the right look against, against the offense. Um, I, I, I think you're right that we could end up talking about Fred Warner as one of the better linebackers in the NFL over these next few seasons. We, we know he's got the mind for it. Uh, we know he's got the habits for it. He might not be as you know physically imposing as, as a lot of linebackers, but there was a couple points where, and and this was probably the knock on him as a rookie, which Robert Sala talked about at the end of last season. How he wanted Warner to improve was tackling with force and tackle guys in a way to to make them go backwards instead of forwards, right? And that's difficult when you're a 220, 230 pound linebacker who can run like Warner can. There were a couple times he bowled over offensive linemen on blitzes, um, which I thought was super notable. And, and obviously being able to punch the ball out, he's had a few of those forced fumbles this year. Uh, just a really, really good performance from Fred Warner. So my Demontre Moore MVP of the game uh, is Fred Warner. Yours is George Kittle, and uh, and I think that's where we're gonna where where we're gonna end this one. So I'm feeling everybody great about enjoy your Fred Thanksgiving. Going to be a Pro Bowler take. I think that's fair. When, when you're on, when I, I you're a really that. good player in the middle of one of the best defenses in football. I tweeted that on April 26, 2018. Receipts. I got receipts. You got receipts. Don't look up any of my other draft picks. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, that's going to be it for us tonight. We are uh, we are going to have a preview pod for the Ravens game coming out uh, probably Friday. So if you are traveling for the holiday, you will have that to listen to on your car ride or plane ride. Whatever it may be, a previewing the 49ers game, a huge game, a really exciting matchup between the Niners and, and the Baltimore Ravens. So we will talk to you guys then.